right, guys, welcome to the Belongs Podcast. We're coming to you from Power at the Pastor in El Paso, Texas. My name is Richie Maruf, and I'll be your host. I also have a long co-hosting with me. Rob Nice. Rob in the Nice. House. <laughs> in the house. Why would I yell it all loud like that? Uh, Rob Nice. <laughs> we, also have, here. we also have a, a, a studio audience. Yo, a studio audience. Make some noise. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right, cool. Sounding good. And, of course, our esteemed guest, Life. How you doing, man? I'm 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 great. I'm uh, great. So so check it out. You're doing great. You're doing wonderful. You've been here in El Paso for a few days. Uh, can you introduce yourselves to our to our listeners? All right. So my name is Cbes A Life Allah. I'm from Connecticut. I'm co-author of the, the Hood Health Handbook and other books such as the Knowledge of Self Anthology and the Science of Self um, book. And uh, my platform that I pretty much uh, am building right now is the Hood Health platform that's developing into all different types of ways. And so I made my way into El Paso doing a series of, uh, of talks mm-hmm. centered around different topics. Um, specifically, um, I'm on what we call the dope tour, which is the decolonization of people everywhere. Awesome. Yeah. And you, you presented on, on Friday here at, at Cafe Mayapan yep. as part of that tour. Great, man. I want to hear a little bit of your experiences, um, Coming to El Paso, but I w- I'm curious, how did you link up with with Rob here? Or how did you guys link up? You know, it's crazy because I don't actually. So when, when I got off the plane this time, I pretty much have drafted, you know, Rob and his wife as family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I saw said, that. I saw yeah, that. you're yeah. drafted, you know. Um, so it's hard to kind of think <laughs> back to that first moment in terms mm-hmm. of where things was gelling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really think that it started to gel because his wife Ruby was doing the uh a challenge on IG. That's right. An ancestral wage challenge. And um she asked me to be a part of that. And um being a part of that, it kinda linked me, you know, more in, in you know, with Rob. And then, you know, once I started to know Rob, like, oh, yeah. It, like the it, the resonance was like perfectly there. So like I said, it, you know, it's hard to pinpoint that one time, but yeah, they they're mm-hmm. family. So that's pretty yeah. much the reason why. Very cool, man. Yeah. Um, I'm glad. I'm, I mean, there couldn't be two other, two better people to link up with in town. I think, um, you know, I, I, it was such a perfect fit for me. You know, seeing that. Mm. And uh, so it's nice to meet you. Welcome to El Paso. Thank Welcome you. to the show and the podcast. Word. Um, so for our, our listeners, you know, can you tell us a little bit about what Hood Health is? Well, Hood Health is basically the platform we developed, um, and I say we because basically. It's an an ongoing uh, entity, you know, with everybody else who I pull into it. Mm-hmm. But it basically was a platform that I developed to address health uh, inequalities and racial health disparities um, in black and brown communities okay. and to develop it as a tool to be able to basically get the message to those who needed the message. You know, I found, and of course, that a major part of that, which is not in the title, but it can also be like, hip hop and hood health. Mm-hmm. So hip hop became like a, a a major tool for me to utilize to um, speak to people about particular health issues that were running rampant, you know, in the hood and the barrio, the reservation, you know, mm-hmm. all around. Mm-hmm. Typically uh, disenfranchised communities in, in the United States and, and beyond. Right. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> what kind of triggered your, 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 not really just your interest, but your, your kind of uh, move towards health? Well, you know, um, I mentioned in one of my talks that, you know, I grew up, I want to say sickly, but I was sickly internal asthma. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like on three different meds. I was on an inhaler, a pill, and like this 
nasty pink liquid medicine that I still to this day can like taste in the back of my mouth. Wow. Still lingers. Um, yeah, it, it was bad. Um, yeah, I was the fastest boy in the hood. So like, you know, I would have to race people, I, <laughs> you know, yet I would get an asthma attack and had to go in the house later and be, you know, out of commission for a couple of days. Um, and so by the time I got to high school, I don't know where I heard from where someone said something about if you cut out, cut down dairy, your asthma will be better. So I was like, a mm. word. So I just cut it all the way out. And um, I totally was off asthma medicine because of that. And I became all state. Really? Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like that was kind of just like experimenting with my own body and um, outside of like rhetoric or anything like that. And so that kind of like, you know, jump started, you know, my thing in terms of just like, hmm, maybe there's something else I can do. Okay. Nice. <clears throat> and uh, essentially what, what kind of, you know, you saw the results for you personally. When did you realize that you can share this message of health with your community and, and, and to a point, the larger, you know, community around you, communities around you. Well, the, the, the second phase of, of my, um, <clears throat> my growth and development. And it was like, I, I kind of shifted to a plant-based diet, okay. you know, and, um, I, I knew I wanted to, mm-hmm. yeah, I knew I didn't want to eat like iceberg lettuce the rest of my life. And I knew I didn't <laughs> want to eat like just granola and tofu. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of, I kind of took a look at like plant-based traditions that were in the black and brown community. So like, you know, like the Rastas around my way, you know, they had mad Ital food and, 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 and the fruits and stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, or like, you know, like I mentioned in my last talk, you know, the, the, the nation of Islam, I was like, so you're saying this, they're beans and it's a pie. <laughs> you know, I was like, yo, you can't get it. You know, so I started to discover. And then just, okay. you know, just like I found that ethnic cuisines pretty much around the world, whether it was Indian or, or Thai or, you know, that their real base was in like plant based foods. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, jumped up in there, you know, and then once I, I started doing that and then when I realized that hip hop could be used as a vehicle, mm-hmm. it, it was mm-hmm. on from that point. Mm-hmm. And when you say hip hop being used as a, as a vehicle, you know, first of all, we acknowledge that when we say hip hop, we're talking about a culture, right. a diverse culture. Um, what is that? Does that mean like we can learn listen lessons through hip hop or use hip hop as a, as a vehicle, as an agent of change? Yeah, no, definitely both. I mean, for me, the first realization was that all of these um, these diseases and illnesses and disorders mm-hmm. that I was finding in general, they were I could find them reflected in hip hop. You know, yeah. so, you know, you could find like a prodigy was dealing with sickle cell anemia. You can mm-hmm. deal um finding out that, um, you know, Fat Joe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Fat Joe. No, there's a, there's a little <laughs> in joke, but, you know, you, you can find out that different people were dealing with obe- obesity and hip hop. Mm. You can find out, you know, people were dealing with um different diabetes, you know, different things. Mm-hmm. And so when I finished my list, I literally had someone an MC or something from everything that was dealing with everything. So that's one way people know an artist, then you, then that's the way to immediately connect. And then the flip side, like you said, is there are many artists who have messages. If they're not even surfaced somewhere buried inside, you know, mm-hmm. their, their, uh, their, you know, their rhymes and stuff. 
Okay. That's interesting. If you're really if you're really listening. Yeah. Yeah. Like like like, like, like mind playing tricks on you. That's mm-hmm. that's some old mental health, you mm-hmm. know. Kendrick right? Kendrick Lamar talks a lot about mental issues and things like that in right. his music and people people could dissect it and get into it. That's, true, that's deep. True, true. And uh, I, I'm glad you actually brought up mental health because a lot of times when people don't think about the word health, like we're talking all encompassing, right? right. Health is is not just your diet, mm-hmm. uh, what you're eating. Your It's also exercise. Right. And then of course, the mental health aspect of it right? as and well. What else, what else would make me the men, that. the mental health aspect you know we we deal with in our second volume a lot heavily because a okay. lot like you said that's something that's really not talked about it's not addressed um and there's a big racial um health disparity in mental health in terms of identifying um specific disorders and mm-hmm. then also access to care for those specific disorders um there was that that uh what do you call it that interview, that that crazy interview with Quincy Jones that just happened yes, not I too long it. ago, where he wilded out and just like you know he spilled all the tea. He told the truth business. about everyone, uh, like Michael Jackson. Business. Yeah, like he was talking about all kinds of people in there. Like it where, was where was this through? Where where where, where did he? It was some magazine this? that okay. interviewed yeah. him. I forgot what magazine it was, but trust me, you can Google it and it will all <clears> be there. But something interesting that he mentioned in there mm-hmm. is that his mother had dealt with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And that they could have been um, helped if, like, she had, like, a simple vitamin, mm-hmm. you know. Yet at the time that she was dealing with them, you know, black people weren't getting the care that they needed. So she literally suffered through life with um, a mental disorder that there already was a treatment for. Mm. You know? Okay. Why, why do you think people push back against um, seeking help when it comes to mental health? I mean, you know, once you once you labeled, you labeled. Mm-hmm. You know, and and there's many of us are already dealing with you know just the 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 normal grind, the nine to five grind, and, mm-hmm. and everything else that comes along with it within the the communities that we live in. And to be labeled with a stigma of mental health, even if you're getting treatment with it, it's still a, a huge stigma. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And some people, I think, um, don't feel comfortable going to a doctor. Or so they don't trust no, not trust that movie. system. No. You know what I mean? And, you know, that's where I, I could relate to it. Like, I don't okay. know if I trust doctors. Like, so, I don't know if I trust this medication they're trying to give me. I mean, if you look at or, op- opioid, yeah. op- uh, opioids, right? Mm-hmm. I, can, I slaughtered that word. Opioids? <laughs> opioids, yeah. Like, op- opioids. I mean, you think, you think about, yeah, you know, uh, they're like the number one, like, killer. You know, people get addicted to them, and they're prescribed by by doctors yeah. and so there's like a whole epidemic in in that so it's it's i think it's very easy to be a little um untrust where you know right and then also you know i always speak about this thing about controlling the narrative uh-huh you know in terms of you know we we need to be able to tell our stories mm-hmm. and you know with the opioid crisis you know up in massachusetts you know there is it's so sympathetic now you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. oh you have a you have a health disorder let us help you mm-hmm. um and they even have rooms where you can shoot up, you know, in yeah, where you could shoot up and in, in safety, you oh. know. Yeah, if you reflect back, you know, during the crack era, mm-hmm. you know, like people were demonized. It wasn't a health issue. It was like you're morally a horrible person. Yeah, you know. And so right. these kind of issues are are some things that we talk about when we talk about racial health disparities. Mm-hmm. So like all if if all the energy that's being put into 
helping with the opioid crisis now. Like, imagine if that was put into place and that kind of compassion during the crack era. It might mm-hmm. have been like a different outcome. Mm. You know, I'm curious. Um, in the in your book, you know, it sounds like you kind of went on your own path towards um, finding knowledge, seeking knowledge uh, that involves different cultures, diet, you know, exercise. Um, who on that path, like who are some of your teachers? Who, who did you kind of follow up on like their research or like their, their knowledge? I think the, that the, the two major influences on the hood health handbook would be, uh, like I said, Dick Gregory, he has a book called cooking with mother nature, which is out of print now you can't find anywhere. Oh, wow. Um, if you can find it, it's probably like some outrageous price, but it's just a small paperback, but mm-hmm. it was, it was very, very like very clear language. He's the first one who I saw use the analogy of a car system to the human body, you know, and, and these systems, you take care of this system in the car, it equals taking care of this system in the human body. So mm. that would be a major one. A second one would be um, how to eat to live by the honorable Elijah Muhammad. That mm. was just a, a major one. Cause it just kind of, you know, put into perspective in terms of just like right foods and wrong foods. Um, but then in terms of, people who we were, who was like direct inspirations, it's really a lot of the unsung people. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to, you know, individual people like, what did your grandma say? You know, what did Mm -hmm. your aunt say? Mm -hmm. And as I always mentioned, the crazy plant lady, you know, I go on crazy at the end of the street, you know, talk to her, (laughs) you know, um, because there wasn't, we didn't fit, there was a void, you know, so there really wasn't anybody who I could go to directly and be like, get all that kind of information from. You know, so yeah, it was a it was it was a lot of like field work. Okay, mm-hmm. and that's so important. I think in, in our everyday life, in the pursuit of knowledge, is is to think about our sources. Yeah, so right. that's interesting about narratives. sources. If I don't mind, if you sure. don't mind me interjecting, but um, I was on the internet and I I saw that uh, your partner, Supreme Understanding, mm-hmm. he posted something about how the books that y'all write are um, from the bottom up. You know what I mean? Mm, They're not mm. like top-down curriculums. You know what I mean? And so as an academic, I'm working at the college and um, I'm a teacher and I always teach my students like, all right, well, who are, what are your sources? Where did you find it? How do you know this person's an expert? And yeah. in the academic realm, you got to cite your sources. You got to say who said this and, and follow MLA style right. and like mm. all that. And so... Um, there's this state of thought that that like if it's not like Doctor So and So at Harvard instead that of said the lady this, down the street, right? Yeah, right. Like how, like that idea of who's credible, right? You know what I mean? And right. I think that our society has said like the people at the university are credible, but not the lady down the street. Mm-hmm. You know who who's been growing plants her whole life mm-hmm. as, and using it as medicine mm-hmm. and such. So if I were to say, well, let me quote. Um, a Maria, you know what I'm saying, from down the block, it might not have as much weight as if I said, let me quote Dr. Uh, freaking whoever from Harvard, right? Right, yeah. And so have you encountered, um, okay, have you encountered any issues with, with like um, this, this idea of sources and references <laughs> and things like that? Or yeah. It's interesting that you said that. I think a big part of that is like the whole decolonization aspect. There we go. Yes. Yeah, that's where which, I wanted it to go. Which is where it's just like, you know, my community decides who the authority is. There we go. You know, you don't get to do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I have no problem telling you that you don't get to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I, the week before I came here, 
um, I got to speak at Yale. You know, um, I don't have a degree or anything and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yet my body of work was such that when they were having something at Yale Medical School, someone who works in Yale and also works in the community basically told them that if I wasn't on um, up for this talk, that their talk was invalid. Yeah, mm. there we go. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So it's 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 about also asserting your authority and being mm -hmm. confident mm -hmm. in your authority. And also, you know, we're used to, and I, when I mean me, I, we, uh, when I say we, I mean the global majority, and I use global majority in lieu of the term people of color, mm -hmm. you know, because once again, controlling the narrative, you know, so we're used to code switching, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So in when I talk, when I did the talk at Yale, I talk pretty much just like how I'm talking now and everything. Mm -hmm. But I threw out a couple of big words just to let them know I knew my stuff. You know, <laughs> just that's that's for you, you know, just yeah. to let you know <laughs> that I know what I'm talking about. Uh -huh. But once you're confident in terms of your community anointing you as an authority, then you're also invested to decide what is the authority. Mm -hmm. You know, there we go. Mm -hmm. Okay. That that's absolutely crucial is is having control of your narrative. Mm -hmm. Right? Absolutely. Um, and I know you, you've, uh, I've listened a little bit of the podcast, the Hood Health podcast. Mm -hmm. You can find that also on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google sure. Music, all that, you know, and that's one of the things you mentioned in the first episode is like, you know, this is, this should be presentable to everyone. Right. And so you want to unmask like the whole academic language of it all, you know, give a wink to the audience when you're speaking, but you know, mm -hmm. just like really plain speak as simple as it is, you know, and that, I think a little bit of that is just, yeah. you know, I like this term, the global majority. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's a. Like I said, it's it's important because it impacts a lot of stuff and it yeah. reframes mm -hmm. a lot of stuff, mm -hmm. and it it centers you again. That's right. You know, it centers the the work that we're doing and and who we are again. Mm -hmm. You know, because if you're if you're constantly referring to yourself as a minority, if you're constantly referring to your just referring to yourself as marginalized, mm -hmm. you know, then you would you would um you adopt those identities. Ah, mm. Interesting. You know, but when I'm part of the global majority, then then I resonate with what's happening over in Haiti. I resonate what's happening over in Thailand. I resonate what's happening over in New Zealand. Mm. And the common struggle becomes a stronger That's you know, right. struggle. That's, yeah. There's power in that. This is what yeah. Angela Davis was talking about when she went to UTEP recently. Mm -hmm. And this is it was during uh, Black History Month. And she said that she doesn't use the term um, African-American. She uses the term black. Because mm -hmm. black, blackness is found not just here, but everywhere, you know what I'm saying? In mm -hmm. Colombia, in Dominican Republic, in Jamaica, mm -hmm. in, in all these, in all the countries, you know? And so to just say African-American is very limiting when, when in fact, you know, um, black people are everywhere, mm. you know what I'm saying? And, and it's, it goes beyond just what we think is America, mm -hmm. you know, um, there's South America. So right. do we get, do they get to celebrate? You right. know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, there's Central America. You know, what about them? Are they included? You know what I mean? So when she says black history, she's talking about all of us, mm -hmm. you know, everybody on the globe, not just these people, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Very important. So kind of addressing the, the nature of language to, to shape really inform our realities right it's something important to to kind of consider in this role of decolonization what what else um what are other aspects of, of what you, you know decolonization of people everywhere that i think people should recognize um that our ancestors didn't do everything right mm -hmm. you know sometimes we fall into the trap of just worshiping our ancestors instead of critically analyzing you know um 
the best parts that they have to give. And I think that that's important because many things that, that are traditions doesn't necessarily mean that they're part of our ancestral lineage. You know, for instance, a tradition in your family could have just started with your grandmother, mm-hmm. you know, yet that doesn't mean that it's, you know, it informs our reality now or something that we need to utilize now, you know. Um, so that's important. And also it's important to understand that literally in the literal sense, genetically, you are your ancestor, meaning that the genetic material mm-hmm. that makes up your body passed down through your mother and your father and everything. So you're actually the same genetic material, just in a different time and space. And so instead of getting into the trap of worshiping your ancestors, you you take upon the role of understanding that you have those same abilities and the same um, responsibility to act in the here and now with that same kind of urgency and agency. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I'm going to say on that one a little bit. That's that's powerful. Yeah. And, and I think um, some of the presentations that uh, were part of your presentation on Friday at Mayapan kind of spoke a little bit to that as, as well. I imagine kind of bringing the ancestral into the present right Mm. with again with agency Mm -hmm. you know being able to to be in control of our our habits our choices right there's something Mm. in the in the in the book that 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 you talk about um that really hit me hard which was um thinking about um the slave health deficit you know Mm. and and how like you mentioned, I believe it was on the Soul Power uh, podcast, that we have foods that we consider our comfort food, like soul food, right? right? Mm-hmm. Or, or, um, but we don't know the history or the origin of soul food, or why is it here? And what I learned from you was that what we consider soul food, you know what I mean, today is really the slave master's leftovers because the slave master had the good cuts, the top pick, the first pick of the food, of the Mm -hmm. meat, of the whatever it was, right? Mm -hmm. The best ingredient. And so the slave got the leftovers. And because we're genius people, people, you know, the global majority is genius. We made that nasty leftovers, you know what I'm saying, taste good, like chicken feet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like... Mm -hmm. Um, or in our side of the world over here, we have a, a lengua, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, or pig's feet or right. these kind of things, right? Tripitas, what they, they make tacos out here with right. like tripe, you right. know what I mean? Yeah. And we make it taste good through different things, but it, it's not healthy, you know? Right. And so it explains how certain people have high cholesterol, diabetes, uh, blood pressure issues and things, because we're still eating the slave master's leftovers. Right. And, even, you another, ex- and, yeah. and even another level, though. Um, see, what, what is traditionally presented as soul food today is is a media invention from the 60s. Mm. You know, um, enslaved Africans were not eating fried food three times a day. It just wasn't happening. Right. You know, we weren't eating, we weren't eating that much meat three times a day because you didn't have that much meat. Um, like I told you, my father was... Uh, Born in 1922, passed in 2013 at the age of 93. Um, and he would tell me, you know, like, we didn't eat this much meat because meat was expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, so the the the, the modern uh, restaurants that serve slave, um, let me slave food, that serve soul <laughs> food all the time. You know, like I said, it's a modern invention. It's a modern idea so that you can actually sell the cuisine, you know, um, and make, oh, make cookbooks and, okay. and things like that. And, and unfortunately, it also got caught up even in um, 
the whole uh, black black is beautiful movement and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So arts movement and stuff. So it became like we're going to hold on to our cuisine as a means of identity when in reality it's not the real the real cuisine because if you really want to talk about it, the way that a lot of uh, enslaved uh, blacks ate during, during that era, a lot of us would be repulsed by it. You know, mm-hmm. like we're talking about eating raccoon. We're talking about eating squirrel. We're talking mm-hmm. about eating possum. You know, mm-hmm. your average person who, you know, will be okay with eating ribs and bacon, they ain't going to eat no coon. Yeah. They're not going to eat no possum. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, so, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's definitely different. Man. <clears throat> wow. And uh, so that's, and then, so there's, there's that section in the book. Um, you can find it on Amazon. Who, who would you say, like, who should read your book? Who's your audience? Yo, everybody needs the book. That's right. Everybody needs the book because you need to be informed, even if you aren't from the hood, even if mm-hmm. you're not from the barrio, mm-hmm. even if you're not from the reservation, even if you're you're of the white upper percent, you need to read the book because you also need to understand um, reference points. Mm-hmm. Okay. Meaning, you know, I when I spoke to the the, the group at Yale, I was speaking to a group of of nurses at Yale Medical School. I was telling them that they need to be informed about this stuff because historically there's a different type of relationship between someone who is like a medical person and someone from the hood. So you need to know these things that might be blocking you to to do your job. Why people are hesitant to really trust doctors. Yeah. Um, the whole role in terms of the medical um, community, in terms of dehumanizing people, blaming them for their illness when many times it's environmental issues or environmental racism mm-hmm. or food apartheid issues. Like if you don't understand that and unpack that, then you're just going to keep repeating what your ancestors did and you're just mm-hmm. going to be continuing to be the colonizer. Mm-hmm. Mm. You don't want to be the colonizer. That's how systems mm-hmm. keep reproducing themselves as people kind of falling into the same habits, routines without looking into the system you right. know that that kind of keeps up <clears throat> um you're talking about environmental racism a little bit here uh you speak a little bit about about that man it's el paso yo yeah so yo. that's uh, one of the questions i wanted to ask you know is is since you've been in town what kind of uh, issues have you kind of noticed being around in, in all honesty <clears throat> when i get back home i'm going to have to take a moment to decompress uh-huh. and the process um i'm a big sci-fi person Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, there's there's in a lot of sci-fi novels and shows, they always talk about this, this, this um, dystopias, you know, in terms of like size, society breaks down and people are dealing with all these issues. But mm-hmm. the way like once again, controlling the narrative, you know, from from the white perspective, that's somewhere off in the future. Mm-hmm. But these are the things that the black and brown people are yeah. dealing with this reality right here, right now. I tell people that, you know, I can go to any town. And if you show me where your refineries are, where your big factories are and all that kind of stuff, I can guarantee you who's living next to them. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. so when I um I was able to do the uh, the toxic tour um, in the neighborhood of Chamisad. Okay. Um, cause yeah, my just, friend, just right down the street here. Yeah. We practice this. Well, yeah. <clears throat> we good. For that. Um, and my mind was blown. I mean, yeah. like I, I've dealt with environmental racism issues in my own neighborhood that I grew up in. Um, but to really, really see like, you know, like to the, the level that it was here, mm-hmm. it just like blew my mind. I, I would urge anyone who wants to know more about it, who's from El Paso, mm-hmm. to go and take that tour like as you soon need as to. possible. Yeah. yeah. This and is organized by the Familias Unidas del Chamisal. Mm-hmm. And so they're organizers from the neighborhood 
who are defending their neighborhood against um, this this. Uh, they want to implement like a truck stop. Yeah, right? they're they're defending the neighborhood from mm. decisions that the city is making to make their living standards worse than it already is. You know, like okay. if you go into this neighborhood, um, I'm telling you, like there's one apartment complex where people still live, mm -hmm. and windows are boarded up. Um, the playground is right by a metal uh, dump, like a metal refining. Um, it looks like a dump. Like these are yeah. they're huge mountains mm -hmm. of metal scraps. And it's right by a kid's playground, separated mm -hmm. by a thin little wall and a fence. <clears throat> and, and when I went on the toxic tour, I took my son. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize like where we were going. You know what I mean? And, and he wanted to play at the playground. And I was like, yo, papi. You can't play at this playground. This is not like the playground was boarded up, but ki ki you know what I mean? Like still see it looks like thing. an abandoned, yeah. it looks like Mad Max, like yeah, a Mad Max, like, you know what I'm saying? And the freeway, the international freeway, the, the border freeway, like the border bridge is right over the neighborhood. All the trucks are idling there all day long, you know, and now the city, they want to put a bus, a school bus hub mm -hmm. right there at Bowie high school. And, um, the data has shown that when they bring this school bus hub here and have those buses idle all day, just it's going to e equal that the kids at this school smoke, what was it, 21 cigarettes oh, a day. Yeah. Be in there. You know what I'm saying? It equals 21 cigarettes for that kid, you know, who's going to that school. Yeah. And so when, when we see people out there protesting, it's like, you think they want to be out there? Like, do you think they should, no. they want to be out there like... In the street, in the heat, in the in the sun, like holding up signs on the side of the freeway, you, they shouldn't have to be. No. You know what I mean? Um, and so, so these are the defenders of the neighborhood that are doing it here. That you, you're not going to see them on TV. You're not going to hear them. Like, and you know what I mean? They're not going to get the notoriety, but but they're there, and yeah. they're letting people know that they're there through things like the toxic tour, through mm -hmm. their protests, and <clears throat> and. Um, I, I wouldn't even call it protest. They're just defenders of the right. neighborhood. You know what I mean? And yeah. so um, that's deep, man. And I didn't know it was to that level. And I was living here, you know. Um, yeah, it's crazy. And, and, and really how easily, you know, people let that slide. Happen, oh, so. yeah. Right, right. And so <clears throat> that's why we need the defenders. Mm -hmm. Right. And they also and, need um, us. Yes. You know, because the... A, a, a kind of ethic of, of of colonization is that what do you do? You have to dehumanize the other, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So like, it's important for for us to whenever we have a platform to magnify their voices. There we go. You know what I'm saying? Because so, these aren't just you know we can put a like a a a a, a title on them mm -hmm. in terms of even like protesters or defenders, but these are these are women. There these we are go. Children. Yeah. These are families. That's this right. is a whole community. You know. Um, whose just sheer existence is being assaulted literally by chemical, biological, you know, nutritional warfare. And mm -hmm. that's evil. And, um, you know, Rob was talking about, yeah, that, that the data has shown, you know, all this stuff is. Yet, you know, even with that, it's like, I don't need no data. Yeah. You know, your common sense, you, if you go there and see it and you see the refinery on this side of the street and, the elementary school across this side of the street, yeah. you know, those who are promoting that that's okay, their children would never, ever. They wouldn't have their fight. kids go there. Right. So I don't yeah. want to debate that with them. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, like, like it gets me even more, like, more frustrated. <clears throat> it's like, you're going to look in my face and trying to uh, rationalize like, 
oh, it's not that bad or anything. But like Please. I said, whenever we have a platform, it's important to magnify their voice because they're out there literally like fighting for their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's third world. It's like we're in the United States and we're like supposed to be like advanced and all this stuff. But you go to this hood, to that little spot, that little neighborhood right there, it's on some... I don't want to disrespect anyone living there because it's not their fault. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like that on purpose. That's right. this w- yeah. how it's been set up to be, you know? And um, I thought I was hood and I- I'm there at the spot, like telling my son that like, you can't play here. Like this is not, mm-hmm. I'm there. Like the refined, the metal plant, you could smell the metal in the air. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and if you have fillings, you could feel it in your fillings. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? And those mounds are just, it's like, I don't, the wind is blowing. Right. There's metal particles mm-hmm. and we're inhaling it. At the end of the day, you know it ain't right. Yeah. You know, it's called the silver, mm. the silver refining plant or something like that. Silver, silver refining. refining plant. They got grandfathered in. It's illegal now to have a plant like that mm. in a neighborhood. But because they were there before this law was made, then, you know what I'm saying? They're allowed to be there still, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody like on the west side is dealing with something like this. Like uh, the Coronado High School kids, they would never are not having to deal no, with a bus approve, hub. Approve you know? the bus hub, yeah, in that region, right. in that all those little right. sides of town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't have to worry about that stuff. You know. Yeah, and I've, oh, my bad. And I'm getting amped up now. I didn't mean to yeah. get amped up. Yo, I, I got amped up out of nowhere. Got to get amped up about yeah, that stuff. To. But what, what people will say like. Oh well, I didn't know this was a problem. I didn't know how come those protesters don't have a Facebook page. How come they're not on Instagram and blah right, blah? I'm right. like, yo, they're in the street, right? With signs, they're at the city hall. Right. Who's gonna have time to be on social media? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. and that's chiming into what you were saying. We got the podcast. Right. You know, we went on the toxic tour, <clears throat> and we're airing it. You know right. what I'm saying? And, and we're right letting now, you know. You right know? now, you're listening to this. That's what we're and, doing. And so, right, right. Wow. And this isn't the the first time either. You know, in El Paso specifically, you know, right. we've had a Sarko there That's for right. many years, right now there done. as well in that region. And mm-hmm. uh, the people there have suffered all sorts of illnesses. Smelter Town. Over the years. Smelter mm-hmm. Town, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on top of everything else. So um, you kind of already inherently gave these answers in terms of being able to uplift the voices of, you know, these voices and these situations, but what can be done to get out of this mess, you know, globally? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a protracted war. You know what I'm saying? We're in a state of a protracted war globally, you know, so we're dealing with all the side effects from that, you know, so you're dealing with, you know, a fight or flight kind of, Mm. you know, anxiety infusing a lot of, you know, our people who live in these stressful environments, you know, so, I don't want to say what we can do. The thing is, I think that we could need to continue to do what's being done. You know, um, when I when I when, when I spoke to Ruby and Rob about coming here, the first thing I said was, you know, make sure you put me in tune with the people who are doing the work, mm-hmm. because there's always people that are doing the work already. Yeah, you know, and many times people are doing the work, and they're so they they're focused on doing the work, so they're not focused on you know, publicity or, or, or linking because they're doing the work, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it's important that we can just continue to connect groups who are doing the work to each other. And also, um, like I said, magnifying their voices and putting them into position where they can get more resources for what they're doing. But I think it's more about like the collective and, and networking. And like I said, um, it's pretty much the same story, different place. So mm-hmm. since it's the same story in a different place, you know, then 
I just roll with that, you know. So <clears> like coming here, it was like, it was just beautiful linking mm-hmm. with the different communities and knowing that the work is being done and any little thing that I could do to help, you know, I'm I'm here for it. And any type mm-hmm. of resource that I have that can be of use, I'm I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. Same here. Uh, what kind? Uh, who else have you have you met while while you're in town? Man, you ain't gonna lie. You ain't gonna get me to lie and like I remember everybody's name. Right, right, right. right yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah. No, no. I'm not. I'm not giving you a test. You know, a quiz like multiple who, choice. Who what they do, but like kind of what uh maybe stood out to you. You know, in terms of the kind of work. That you know, honestly, the crazy thing is that, like I said, I really am gonna have to decompress and process. Um, you know, a lot of people are real good on social media, like going live and and like putting their pictures up as things happening. I'm the right. person that has to like take the pictures, take the video. And then just like later, you know, I post something like two weeks later. But what what has been very, very, um, that has stood out to me very, very strongly has been the powerful women Mm -hmm. who are leading a lot of these movements. Uh, 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 A lot of um, women of Mexican descent who are just like at the forefront and don't take no, Mm -hmm. like they don't take any junk yo and that junk to me is like (laughs) bad impressive and like yeah you know to to see um you know women from the global majority to be able to have the space to do what they do you know because Mm -hmm. that's the other thing about decolonizing it's not just about you know eating certain types of food and wearing certain types of clothes it's also about adopting certain of the uh means of organizing and ethics of our ancestral lineages lineages mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so the place of so it's funny you know like in the context of america you kind of have to you frame out and actually like develop feminism you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yet when you look in like a lot of our ancestral traditions like you know, women always had an important spot so it's not like developing something new it's just allowing them to have their space to do what they need to do and they get busy you know? yeah they get busy That's absolutely true. much much love to to our our community man you yeah know, it's a special you know, place we yeah, live and, yeah. and a lot of people who live here don't know a lot about what's going on with all the organizing and the um <clears throat> you know the energy that's being put into mm-hmm. um defending and protecting the people mm-hmm. and culture mm-hmm. and community and all of that it's crazy talking about space for women to build uh my my wife recently went to uh chiapas mm-hmm to a, a women's all women's conference and men were not allowed in the conference um it was organized um by zapatista women and they're the ones who organized the whole thing right mm. they um held it down and she showed me some videos and at first i was like oh what men can't go like what you know like <laughs> i want to go i want to like be with the zapatistas too you know yeah, and yeah, like yeah. and then um but I trust, like, like whatever she needs to do, she's going to do it, you know, and, and good, I support her. And so she showed me some video, and it was really interesting because one of the Zapatista women was giving her welcome speech. And she said the reason she made it, um, the reason they, not she, but they made it women only was so that they could be free from the gaze of men. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if they're good men or bad men. They can. They needed to have a space free from the gaze of men, you know, and and that hit me because I know what they're talking about. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I know what that means. And if I was a woman, you know, sometimes I think about it. I have sisters and stuff, and I know how dudes are, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I I wonder, like, you you were talking about creating safe spaces, you know, and like how safe 
can a woman be when you know how men are? You know what I'm saying? And and these kind of things. And so that really hit me and I learned from it, you know, and I let my ego mm -hmm. like let it go. You know what I'm saying? Because it yeah. doesn't have to do with me. Like I, it does, but it doesn't. Like I don't need to be there. I, I need to let her do her thing mm -hmm. with her peoples. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And let them build. And you were talking about today, that listen. today, A-Life, about giving people a space to to have that safety to build with who they need to build with, right. you know, and I think mm -hmm. that's really important. Yeah, safe space equals sacred space, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's important whether it is, you know, I have a space for, you know, particular, particular ethnic groups, whether you, it's for, you know, the global majority as a whole, whether it's for women, it's important for them to, to have that space to do the things that in all traditional, you know, um, societies of the global majority, we've always had space that was centered around, you know, women or men or the mm -hmm. hunter or the blacksmith. You know, there were certain talks that happened in those space that wasn't for everybody. And I'm okay with that. You know, um, it's interesting, though, you know, that people really, you know, sometimes really want to, like, disintegrate that space. And meanwhile, nine times out of ten, the people who want to disintegrate that space they have their own um, safe spaces that's protected, whether it's by their socioeconomic status, um, their color, you know, things like that. They have these spaces, yet they just always want to be in everybody else's business, <laughs> you know, which, is, which historically there always has been, you know. Which makes sense, you know, they they feel like discomfort and them feeling the way people feel all the time of like, oh, I'm not allowed here or... Right. You know, they're, it's they're displacing their comfort that they've always felt and right. known of space. You know? Right. Meanwhile, you know, they took land. <clears throat> yeah. Right. <laughs> you know wow. what I'm saying? You know, yeah. you, you took land. Not only did they <laughs> take land, now they're trying to, like, tell people don't come here. Right. After they, the ones who came here from somewhere else and, and took it. You know right. what I'm saying? how like, that works, you know? Like the audacity. I just can't, I can't wrap, I still can't wrap my It's like, let me close the door it. behind us. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Like, all right, we got here. All right, let's close the door. <laughs> That's crazy to me. Damn. Even if people were here already, too. Really? Already. People been who here. were already here before <laughs> right. them, too. Still, like. Been here. You know what? That reminds me of what yeah. you said the other day. You were talking about how colonizers and, and these people, they came from other places, right? And they like to think that it was their strength or their ingenious tactics right. that allowed them to, like, come over and take over something or take some land or like the people who went into other countries and stuff and, and, and intellectually superior. Right, right, you know? right, right, right. But you broke it down that it wasn't necessarily that. Oh yeah. Not, not, not in America. Definitely. It wasn't that. Tell, tell us, break, um, break it that, once, break that down. <laughs> once again, controlling the narrative, you know, um, they write their own mythology, you know? And so their mythology was, is that they left to seek freedom in a new land that was mm -hmm. waiting for them and that they tamed the land and made this land great, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yet the reality of that is that the first, you know, groups of people who left England, you know, they were parts of cults mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. I could refer to them as, you know, a particular Christian sect or denomination. <laughs> yet the reality is, is that in Europe at the time in England, they were looking at them as cults, which mm -hmm. is why they're like, yo, get out of here. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, and then um, even going back to the conquistadors and everything, you know, 
it's always put, you know, like their superior technology and everything conquered the natives, you know, like in terms of the Incas and, you know, the Aztecs and everything. But the reality is, is um, there's a book called Gun, Germs and Steel. Hmm. And it talks about how before, you know, Pizarro and all the all the rest of the conquistadors, before they got inland to the empires, that already the diseases that were being brought by Europeans had already infiltrated the continent. Mm -hmm. So when they came upon the cities, you know, they were going through like um, health crisis, you know? So yeah, it's easy when, when the whole population is, you know, suffering a disease that they have no immunity against, mm. you know, to, to conquer them. But then you rewrite the story that, you know, you faced all these armies and, you know, you had your superior technology. You know how the gun muskets were back then. It's like one shot. You got to try to. <laughs> yeah. you, weren't, you weren't killing mad people with your gun, dude. Yeah, right, yeah, right, it right, it right. wasn't happening. You know, and another interesting it, thing about gun guns, guns, germs and still is that they it actually postulates um, why that was in terms of why Europeans at that time were literally um, biological weapons. Um, if you notice in Europe, the rest of the world. The, well, the concentration of domesticated animals is in Europe. Mm -hmm. The rest of the world is the concentration or distribution of domesticated plants. So when you domesticate an animal, you know, it takes it takes a long time to bring it from its wild form into its domesticated form. So you, ha it, you have to deal with it in close, close proximity. Yeah. And when you deal with it in close proximity, you know, that that barrier can jump in terms of some diseases that are in animals and in humans. Mm -hmm. You know, so basically Europeans were, you know, um, exposed to a lot of those and they developed, you know, antibodies and stuff like that. Yeah. It, the rest of the world, they just knew not to be that close to animals all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So they never, you know, went into heavy domestication and developed all those different, you know, antibodies and stuff in their, their bodies. Hmm. I love that historical context in the book. Like, hmm. it's not just like, yo, yo, you got to like do yoga and like eat lettuce and like get, go get some kale. Yeah, like the book work. is not like that. It's right. it's it has the historical knowledge right. that mm -hmm. is so important mm -hmm. because like once I learned about like, wait, what? Like, this is the slave master's leftovers. Right. Yo, I'm not eating this no more. Right, right. I don't care how good. I'm not eating that food no more. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, mm -hmm. I think that's what it takes for people to reclaim themselves, you know, and their health. And mm -hmm. we got to know the knowledge behind why am I doing this? Why does this exist? You know what I'm saying? Um, and it's so important, right. you now, know, to... Frederick Douglass, you know, he said, uh, knowledge makes a, a person unfit to be a slave. Mm. There you That's go. one of my favorite, you know, quotes from him. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you're talking about liberation, you know, and, and you have to talk about it on all levels. So, yeah, what you eat you know, is, is very important. And not just from the what you eat in terms of a nutritional standpoint, what you eat when you connect it to social issues. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's certain food that I won't eat because I know that the manner by which it gets to my my plate. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not going to eat food that if, if I know that, you know, it's exploiting migrant farmers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So this is like the flip side because you could have someone who's like a super duper vegan and like, look at me, I eat quinoa. You know, I, that's bad. I eat quinoa sometimes too. You know, uh -huh. actually, I don't eat quinoa anymore. I eat kale sometimes. But like, <laughs> the, the reality is, is that you know, quinoa is um, the main source of food for particular nations in in um, in Peru, and they can't even eat it anymore because now it's being classified as a superfood now. And so people in America, it's like all want it so much, so the mm. price has gone up for it, and it's. 
they make more money, the corporation makes more money to ship it out, and the people can't even afford to eat their ancestral food. Right. Wow. This, so I, I can't be part man, of it. This happened yeah. in Mexico, too, with corn. Right. You know, like... Mm. Even uh, avocados, too. Yeah. Mm. U.S., U.S., like, we grow so much corn here, mm -hmm. we don't know what to do with it. Right. It's in everything. Yep. It's in soda. It's yep. in cereal. You know what I mean? It's in... Everywhere we're feeding it to animals that are not supposed to eat corn, right. like cows that are getting E. coli because of it. And if you know anything about business and supply and demand, when you grow, when you have so much of a product, when it's abundant, the cost of that product goes down. So we're growing, we're really good at growing corn in the industrial farming. Right. And I'm not meaning good as in good, like, uh, like, oh, this is great. I mean, like, they're efficient at right. growing a lot of corn. And so what happens is with the passage of NAFTA, you know, mm -hmm. um, now we're able to trade with Mexico and dump all that uh, U.S. grown corn on Mexico. And now the farmer in Mexico who's right. been growing corn, who that's what he or she does, you know, now they can't compete <clears throat> with the cost of U.S. corn. Right. And so mm. if you're my neighbor and I'm growing corn, you, you, can, you ain't going to buy from me. Right. You're going right. to buy the more mm. affordable corn. Exactly. You know what I mean? Wow. And so now I'm out of a, a job. I'm, right. I'm out of a career. And, and now I got to go to the United States and be a field hand right. or, or a migrant worker. Right. And then, and then it goes deeper. Mm. Now I'm a migrant worker and I'm working for somebody who doesn't pay me what I deserve to be paid, who doesn't give me health insurance, who right. threatens to call immigration on me if I say anything, right. you know? Mm -hmm. And even further, when you look at the meat industry and how these are factories. Right. It, your food ain't coming from a farm. You know, if your meat is not coming from a farm, I'm sorry, right? Mm -hmm. It's coming from a factory, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. And so those people who are butchering that food, a lot of times, they are from, they're immigrantes, you know, they're from um, places like, like, like Mexico who have been displaced, right? And so mm -hmm. these, some of these companies, and I got, you know, you can see the footage in a film called Food Inc. If mm -hmm. you haven't seen it already. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Mm -hmm. Some of these companies will advertise the business, advertise the work in Mexico, bust these people into work, you know, um, let them live. They have like trailer homes and stuff, right? And then they're working there for a certain amount of time. Then they call immigration on them before payday and they get deported. Yep. This is modern day slave labor. You know what I mean? I don't know if the government's been cracking down in recent years since that film came out, mm. but, but, and I don't, ex I probably not. They probably yeah. don't, I don't have no faith in it. They probably yeah. not. But mm -hmm. that's an example of this is modern, modern slavery and, and going to what you said about, that displacement and and um, you know that that damn it's all over the place. And man. then it's also crazy. another level to that, you know, because there's more levels. Yeah, and also all the another, levels. If you ever see this this film, this short films on on YouTube, but the Matrix. The Matrix, yeah, it's good, man. It's hilarious. It's good for kids too. Yeah, it really gets it. But the other level is is like not only is corn grown here as a monocrop, it's only one kind of corn. Yes, that's being grown. Mm -hmm. So when you're when you're dumping that excess corn into Mexico, you're killing the diversity of corn also because we oh, know corn is is so right. diverse. Yeah. Yeah. So you're killing the biodiversity of corn. Yeah. You know, so now that low grade, cheap kind of corn, you know, becomes the dominant you know yeah. form, and it also makes it also high risk for um for plant diseases. There you you know, go. our ancestors always grew you know with great biodiversity because that 
prevents, mm-hmm. you know, um, outbreaks in terms of you losing a particular crop. Mm-hmm. You know, but when you're focused on only one type of plant, like one type of tomato, one type of apple, whatever, you know, if that gets a plant disease, it can wipe out the whole thing. That's which right. is what's happening actually with bananas now. And but we that's see another it. story. Yeah, mm. that's true. And if we look at um, indigenous um, cultures from Aslan, this region, we have things such as the Tres Hermanas, right? The Three Sisters, which is where if you're growing food, you're not just growing rows of corn. Like, okay, you got the corn, but then you're going to plant beans at the base of the corn, and those beans are going to climb up. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then and then you're going to plant you're going to plant ground cover. You're going to plant squash with it. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. that squash is going to keep the moisture in the ground. And the the uh, the makeup of these plants, the the nutrients that go into the ground, like you're not extracting just one type of nutrient from the soil now, right? And in fact, we're building the soil yeah. with planting um, more than one crop together, you know? Mm-hmm. And so in our, in our country where we have these monocrops in these fields, when it comes time to reap that field, yo, that field is basically dead, you know what I'm saying? Right. With all the pesticides and all the stuff they put in it, it's dead, it's a wasteland, you know? And, and those fields only will produce a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. And then until they have to go acquire more land or mm-hmm. go, you know, continue this destruction over, over, over and over again, you know. <clears throat> and we're not even getting into the genetically modified stuff. And I'm going to shut no up because I want to hear more from you, yeah, A-Life, you know absolutely. what I'm saying? Yo, go crazy. You know, we're not even getting yeah. into that genetically modified foods and right. things. But that's a whole nother issue. I think you have something about it yeah. in here. Yeah, right. in, in the Hood Health Handbook. I got it all in there. And, and the thing is, it's, uh, it's network. You know, as things come along, as news goes along, we want to share that. So check out. The Hood Health Network. Uh, where can people follow that? Well, you can follow me on, um, there, we have a site, thishoodhealth.com, mm-hmm. which has the blog on there. And we're, we're actually renovating a little bit on site, but all that information is on there. You can get linked to the podcast on there. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also follow us on IG a lot. Um, okay. We're under uh, Hood Health on um, Instagram. We're also on Twitter under This Hood Health. Mm-hmm. Um, on Twitter also. So we utilize all the platforms to, to work to get the message out there because, you know, the, the key is to getting the message to the people who need the message. And so we work to adopt different platforms of technology and stuff um, to get the message out. And it might be different. It's in different forms, on, you know, depending on the different platforms, you know. Mm. Right on. And I just say that because this isn't static, you know. It's it's always changing. It's evolving. And, and, and new issues come up that need um, almost reporting on. So follow the network, please. And uh, you spoke a little bit, or you speak a lot on a uh, radical self care. Can you? Well, to, to give it real, a real, real, yeah, that's not going to be real quick. Um, <laughs> to to kind of hit it, you know, real quick. Radical self care um, deals with the collective self care we need to do in order to um, deal with the issues that's being thrown on us by society right now, and that's contrasted against uh, just health care as a commodity. Um, as it's pushed right now, the way that healthcare is pushed as a commodity right now is kind of like only like uber rich have time to do it and that you're almost shamed if you take time to take care of yourself, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, there's literally like a, a whole self-care industry right now, but radical self-care is actually um, dealing with collective healing, dealing with addressing historical trauma, um, dealing with, making sure that we're at our optimum as we go through all these things 
um, that society is throwing at us. And like I said, really, I know I said it once, but to say it again, to really deal with the effects of historical trauma that are still manifesting itself right now. Mm. So I just want to know, like, all right, I know we're switching lanes right now from hood health to, to hip hop, but it's, it's the same lane. Up, it's same lane. So, yeah. so, so like, um, who, who do you think we need to like look for in, 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 in this cult, in the hip hop culture right now? Like it could be MCs, it could be artists, it could be dancers, it could be DJs. Mm. Like, who do you think we should look for and like download something or go see them on YouTube or what can we, you know, who so, could you so recommend? What are you excited about, huh? Give us, hit us with like a little something, something. There's, um, well, of course, I think that you need to definitely be in tune with Stickman. Stickman you from know, Dead Press. Yeah, Dead Press. He has his workout album, you know, which is mm-hmm. incredible. And, you know, stuff that he's been doing. And just, he's about, you know, talking to talk and walking to walk. It's not just something that he says, you know, um, in his rhymes. He's actually, his whole lifestyle, his whole lifestyle is infused with, you know, stepping his game up. You know, yeah, physically and mentally. Uh-huh. He's in the book. He wrote a piece in the book, yeah, right? He wrote a piece right. in, in the, the hood health. Okay. Um, I think that everybody, you know, we talked about earlier, talked about uh, the four elements of hip hop. I think that it's important to. It's hard in the commodified, you know, environment right now where people only focus on the MC, mm-hmm. but it's important to really, really acknowledge the role of. Um, of dancers, mm-hmm. b-boys, you know, rockers, you know, poppers, lockers and stuff because dance once again is an ethic of the global majority. We like music, we like food and we like to yeah. dance, you know, and it becomes um a way also to get movement. Mm-hmm. You know, so so someone who's a, who's a dancer, you know, a lot of these dances were literally street dances. You know, they weren't given like ballrooms or, or things like that. They literally went to the street and danced. And so we need to bring that back to center that once again. Yeah. You know, so find your favorite dancer. You know, go take a class, you know, get some movement going on in your in your body. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if you're an MC, you know, take it to the next level. Can you can you can you say your rhyme and dance? Are you Big Daddy Kane? Oh you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. Like like those skill levels of breath control and things like that are are important. You know, mm-hmm. you can listen to certain MCs and know and, and realize like, yo, they have crazy breath control. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's a whole um, another level. Uh, there's a group also, Precise Science. You heard them? Precise Science. Precise. Oh, yeah. I'm taking notes. Where's yeah. my phone? Yeah, they, <laughs> they, they, yeah, Precise Science. They're they're a little older group, but that they yeah, check them out. Okay, you know, they they're really like on top. Precise you know. science. Yeah. I, I gotta check this out. Yeah, right? yeah. They already sound like my favorite group of all time. <laughs> Sorry, Wu Tang Clan. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm gonna go with precise science right now. And then also, you know, you just need to uh, like I do a lot of workshops and stuff. And so sometimes I'll do like a workshop, almost like a a, a game show kind of workshop. I'll be like, yo, name, you know, I'll set people up in groups, and I'll be like, yo, you got like, you know, two minutes. Write down um, every song that you can think of that references food. Oh, write oh down, hey, yeah. You know, write down every song that references mental health. Mm. Write, write down every song that references physical health, you know, and, and just create a game atmosphere and things yeah. like that. I um, mean, it causes people to think because, like I said, it's not just people who are promoting a healthy, quote unquote, lifestyle. There's lines and stuff probably in a billion songs that you listen to over and over again. And it might not it might not have clicked. But when you try to when you're trying to win, you're like, yo. Mm. Then you know it comes in. You raised that question today at the at the college where where you were talking about a lot of MCs mentioned will mention mental health, and one of the lyrics that came into my brain was um, 
Cypress Hill, I'm having illusions, all this confusion's driving me mad inside, you know? Yeah. Like, what are they talking about? That's right. mental health right exactly. there, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, like, you know, a lot of a lot of MCs who grew up in the inner city, like, if you can't translate or understand their rhymes as like a cry for help, then once again, that's a, that's a, a, a byproduct of, of colonialism where you dehumanize somebody. Mm. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, anybody else who... And we're not even gonna go there, but we're gonna go there. <laughs> go um, you know, go there. you know, Johnny whatever can shoot up, you know, a school, and then it's always a mental health issue, and so all of a sudden this can be all this empathy and everything for him. But you know, an MC who is is talking about these issues and everything, you know, he's just a thug or he doesn't know what he's talking about and stuff. So it's that's a, a byproduct of colonialism mm-hmm. because you have to de- you have to dehumanize the other, yeah. and it works in it works from the it works along a spectrum. It works from Oh, they're savages. To you don't know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, and, and and under that frame though, it also becomes a, a commodity, something that's consumed, rather than a, a, a you know that message that cry for help, that kind of mm-hmm. calling yeah. out that that true human expression becomes something that just people consume, and it mm-hmm. then it falls under like capitalism and colonialism. Right, 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 right. right. And we were talking a little earlier too about like just because you're you're selling, you know, making money. I mean, it doesn't mean you're like the best either, right? Exactly. So there's always those intertwined <laughs> exactly. kind of you know, the message aspects. Yeah. Yeah. The message itself right. is is the, that freaking whole song deals with mental health issues. It deals with environmental racism. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Melly Mel was just laying it all yeah. out to you. Like, Don't push that. me because I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. Like, like oh, come on. Right, like, that's right. a direct, like, you know, mental health declaration yeah and then he describes the nature of living in the hood broken Mm -hmm. class everywhere you know what i'm saying like yeah like that's all you know so like that's what i mean in terms of just like hip-hop is a direct tool that you can utilize you know because hip-hop has always reported what's going on in the environment that they came from in fact hip-hop in terms of its genesis is the result of environmental racism, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, from the Bronx being, you know, that era that it was in for those who didn't live through it, you know, like myself or others who weren't there, you know, there's a, a, a documentary film called Fort Apache and, yes. you know, you can see how it was during that time and it can click then. It's like hip hop grew out of that to be like, you know, Chuck D says like the black CNN. You know, so that's the root of hip hop. You that know what I'm so saying? True. So I just pretty much hood health back, basically just retapped into what hip hop was in its genesis. Mm. Mm. Wow. <clears throat> I know you also uh write a little bit, you know, you do some some poetry, some writing. What a, what <clears throat> you wanna maybe <laughs> What I didn't. I didn't remind him. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't be like, "Yo, bring, bring your poems." Yeah, like, yeah. so I don't know, uh, man. Uh, I know we put them on the spot that's right, right here. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I have a poetry book. Um, Dad, what's the name of that? Perihelion <laughs> Baby. Actually, this is the first published book that I what? ever made. All right. Um, it's you, out there in the world. It's out there in the world. You can find it online okay. under uh, your name. Yeah, you can find it under A Life Allah. Okay. Um, yet. Uh, What's ironic is I, I used to also teach poetry and prose to uh, mm-hmm. at an art school. And, um, you know, that's actually the first lane of writing that I was really heavy mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm, it's funny that you mentioned that because I've been thinking of revisiting that. I just always have 1,001 things to do. And my brain um, 
it's hard to shift gears. Like if if, if I'm in like uh, nonfiction writing mode, it kind of gets stuck there versus, you know, when it's in the poetry mode. But mm-hmm. I want to get back to doing poetry. I used to do, you know, open mics and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. I don't have anything on the brain right now. That's all good, man. We'll, we'll, we'll be on the lookout for uh, you. Owe us that one. You know, yeah, we'll take a rain check and we'll find your book. But I'm, check it out. Yeah, check I'm, out the I'm book. I'm coming back here anyway. Okay, I'm coming back to El Paso. All right, cool, man. We could do a. We can do like a reading. You know, that would be dope, dope, man. People from the very same community you're talking about, you know, yeah. are also writers, and right. We can we can kind of do. But honestly, event. though, like uh, like. Your posts in the Hood Health and on your page, man, that's poetry enough. Man. Absolutely. Like, I, honestly, I, you commented like on that. Yeah. I your saw your comments. Your are poetry, <laughs> you know, and things that you're speaking on things that are right in our face. Yeah. But we don't see them mm-hmm. until someone like you comes along and shows us it. And then you're like, oh, shit. How come I didn't see that? Right. That's right. poetry. Right. That's what right. poetry is, you know? <clears throat> yeah. Now, I know uh, we've been speaking for almost about an hour. I do want to open it up to, to our audience and they have any questions they'd like to. Yeah. What's up audience? Hey, uh, What's up? Been letting, listening. So, so patiently, so quietly. We so got the mic on. They got the microphone. mic on. Is it, it's, they got the volume it's, rocking. It's ready. It's set. So <clears throat> if anyone has any, any questions they'd like to ask here, that would be, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's for you guys. Uh, definitely. Uh, we want to invite you guys into the dialogue, into the conversation. Big yes. shy. There we go. We got okay. one taker. Oh, cool. There he is. So uh, this question is still uh, formulating a little bit, but um, so I too am plant-based and uh, it falls, I was listening to what you were talking about a little bit about genetics and the um, the culture that uh, I as, as, well, the uh, global majority, I'm going to refer, uh, I like your comment on that. I want to get your uh, your thoughts and aspects a little bit more about how like a plant-based diet fits more into the uh like native uh, culture and, and what, what you have to say about that. You know, the, the, the conference was actually really well because Rob's wife, Ruby, you know, like she, she really went, she really went there, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, you know, in everything, which is very important to me, just in terms of my ethic is that it's important for me not to appropriate people's work in order to um, capitalize off of. So when I when I do things, I like to defer to people, meaning like I want to make sure that, you know, people understand the path that I took in order to to get my information. So it's very important mm-hmm. to me to mention that, you know, in this area, you know, you you guys are, are, are fortunate to have someone like Rob's wife, Ruby, who definitely um, centers, you know, talks and things around that. So I, I will speak on it, though, from how important I feel it is from – to eat your your native and traditional indigenous foods. And mainly I always say because like, you know, they don't want you to eat them. So you're gonna eat them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like those things, like it becomes a, a crazy level in terms of why we don't eat them. Like certain things such as amaranth, you know, they literally outlawed it. Like they were afraid of a food because it was identified also with religious purposes. So they're just like, yo, you can't eat it at all. So mm-hmm. like there's literally like nutricide, like there's literally biological and chemical warfare. Um, a lot of the indigenous foods, especially of this area, you know, Nopal is um, different things like that. Like they're so chock full of like nutrients and everything and they're nutritionally dense, you know, and they also haven't been commodified by mass market production. 
That's which true. is also important yeah. also because that means that you have to develop the techniques to grow it, go to go to indigenous farmers, you know, so you're also rotating your dollar, your dollar back into your community, which is another level why it's important, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it builds them up. And then also it gets into what I mentioned, zombie foods. So we're going to give my little quick speech on zombie foods. So zombie foods are foods that we're going to eat when the zombie apocalypse happens. Okay. Because oh. it's going to happen. All okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but but so it, when, when the outbreak happens, the first thing that's going to happen is your grocery stores are going to not be any good Done. to you, right? It's a wrap. Done. You know what I'm saying? People are going to be trying to figure out what's in that can is going to be cat food. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? So it's done. You know, so within a week, all that stuff is going to be gone. Mm-hmm. So there's three things that I identify as quote unquote zombie foods that you need mm-hmm. to, or things that you need to do in order to survive the zombie apocalypse. First, you need to know how to grow stuff. You know, I don't care if you're working on 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 a big farm, on a small farm, you know, a garden, or you know, even just like little plants in your own house. Everybody mm-hmm. should be involved with growing something. You know, there are things that doesn't re- require a lot of um, intensive work to grow. Right, you like know, amaranth. Like amaranth. Yeah, you easy. Know, easy. You know, you need to have your aloe up. You know, you need to have you know these different things all on on deck. You know, the second thing that you need to do is that you need to be skilled in um, preservation techniques. So, you know, get your fermenting on, you know, get your canning on. All those kind of things are going to save you during the zombie apocalypse. Mm. The third thing is probably the most important thing, which is that we're the only organisms on the planet that don't recognize food that's good for us. (laughs) Meaning (laughs) you could literally go outside right now and during the zombie apocalypse, and you could be standing there, and you're and you're you're about to die from hunger, and you could literally be standing next to a plant that's edible, mm-hmm. but you don't recognize it. Yes. So it's important to to take foraging classes to um, learn how to identify herbs and and plants that's in your area and in general, um, because that's another thing. A lot of these a lot of these plants that have been untouched and they're not you know, in the normal standard American diet, they're just not in there because, you know, the colonizers basically just didn't adapt them into the standard American diet. Yet there's a whole palette, there's a whole, you know, range of foods um, that are plant-based that are out there that people aren't even using, you know, unless like, you know, some freaking artisanal chef discovers it yeah. and all of a sudden it becomes, you know, a, the new big thing. Right. Like quinoa. Like right quinoa. There, you know, you know yeah. like, yeah. Yo, it's crazy. Um, you, you mentioned Ruby and that that's a beautiful question that you ask. Um, what I learned, because my wife is a public health specialist. And by the way, she's on Instagram, Tradiciones Sanas. So follow her. Mm-hmm. Um, but she um, she put me up on the, the, the truth of what the colonizer did in our region with amaranth specifically. Mm-hmm. And so there is documentation where you can find letters that the colonizers were writing back to the king and queen about how fit and healthy the natives were, right? That, that they were in proportion, that... that um, they weren't too big. They weren't too small. They, they were healthy people. And they did the science. They did the math to it um, and realized, well, why are they healthy? What are they doing that's healthy? You know, what are they eating? And they broke down and they found foods like amaranth and chia, like the Aztec, like the warriors, 
not just the Aztec, but the warriors, mm -hmm. uh, indigenous warriors would carry chia with them because it's light. They would eat like a tablespoon of it. It has omega fatty three acids, right? Which only comes from like fish and like animals. Mm -hmm. That's one of the only plants that has it is chia. And so they would have chia, right? Um, but going back to amaranth, the Spanish colonizers made it illegal once they usur usurped, once they took power, right, through mm -hmm. divide and conquer and all these trickeries and things like that. But um, they made it illegal to grow amaranth because they wanted to weaken the people. Now, amaranth, if you don't know, the seed has more calcium than milk. Mm. People here didn't drink milk because there was no cows before the Spanish. Right. Mm -hmm. So they had it from, from the amaranth grain, right? The, the leaf, this will blow some people's mind, the leaf has more iron than spinach. So, so the, the Spaniards saw that this is something, one of their healthful foods here for the indigenous peoples. They made it illegal. If you grew it, they would chop off your hands. To, and wow. what did they do? They introduced cow. They introduced dairy. They introduced frying foods, right? And so I don't want to get my hands chopped off. So let me see what's up with this over here, you know? And then mm -hmm. over the years, we begin to forget about that ancestral food, that that mm. amaranth that was keeping us healthy, that was keeping the warriors healthy. And, and now we're to the point where in our society, we walk by amaranth every day in El Paso. Mm -hmm. Like in the summertime, like it's bushes on the side of the road. Like I wouldn't recommend eating amaranth from the side of the road. You know what I'm saying? Because you don't know what, you know what I mean? Um, but the city sprays poison on it. Yeah. You know, uh, my friend Rob Leal is an, a permaculture guy, and mm -hmm. he, he says that there's a, a certain percentage of, like, that the food that you need is usually within 20 feet of your house, like, as far as plants right. growing, right. foraging, right? right? And so today, we walk out, we're iron deficient, we walk out, and we'll go by, we'll walk past that amaranth in our lawn, you know what I mean? And we'll walk, we'll go to the store and get some Roundup. And we'll spray pesticides on it Damn. to kill it because it's a, quote, weed. Right. You know what I mean? When really we should be eating it and mm. we would be so much healthier, you know. Um, so this is the knowledge I got from from Ruby, from, yeah. you know, Tradiciones Sana. <clears throat> so um, that was a good question you asked. Absolutely. And, and there's a reason why we don't know about amaranth. Right. There's a reason why Speaking we don't know colonization about and Right. It's yeah. systematic. It's not mm -hmm. an accident. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, which is, you know, I real quick just want to mention, you know, we utilize the term food apartheid mm. versus food mm. desert, you know, because the desert is natural. Desert is supposed to be there. Mm. You know, um, if, you're, if you utilize food desert, you know, in, in reference to food um, inequality, then that's just, it just happens to be the way it is. You don't get to tell these stories of how the system put it in place, like mm. literally outlawing food. Like that's crazy. You know, yeah, food, the natural, like, natural food, right? You know, and it's the, it's the same way. You know, on another <clears throat> on another end of the spectrum, that psychologically, you know, it was done with you know black people in America. You know, if you you know, in terms of you know psychological images of black people eating, you know, the whole coon images of eating watermelon and stuff, they'll mm -hmm. make you ashamed to eat watermelon. You know, which once again, nutritionally dense, the the seeds of the watermelon. The black seeds, you can eat those and they will actually put um chase out parasites out of your body, worms out of your mm. body. Um, that you they'll pass mm. through with your stool and everything. But because that psychological thing, I grew up and many black people grew up, it's like, yo, I'm not gonna eat watermelon in public. Mm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because that imagery from, you know, um 
after slavery and during slavery is just so strong, you know, so psychological warfare, all these systematic things are put in place to like distance you from your food. Wow. You know? Mm -hmm. And then you, like you said, they don't just distance you from their, your food. They, they introduce you to their food, which is, you know, um, nutritionally deficient, but then also you, you also then start feeding economically into their system. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. and it's important also when you start eating your ancestral foods and stuff and you start getting back to the root, then those people, you have to make sure the stewards of our foods are our people so that once again, you still aren't like buying all your amaranth from, you know, the same guy who who told you you couldn't eat amaranth. Yeah, from Whole Foods. Right. right. We're not going to talk Sorry, about Whole Sorry, my bad, Foods. my bad. That's like the, like the, uh, one of the, one of the four horsemen of the gentrification yeah, <laughs> That's another show. I'm not even going to go there. But my son loves Whole Foods, though, man. I I, it's hard, man, because they be giving out, like, the free samples. Oh, yeah. Right. My little man was like, my daddy loves free samples. I'm like, yo, <laughs> shut up, man. Don't be, come on, don't say that out loud. You know, you, you, know you can't stop You're him, the reason. Man. Yeah, he said something. He's three, so I forgive him. Well, you know, but it's good to be conscious of things. For sure. And then yeah. you can make an educated decision for yourself, and you know what is what. You know, it's not just about, like, yeah. That's really what it's coming down to. You mm-hmm. know, check out the handbook, volumes one, volume please. two. Follow the networks, please. Yo, I'm going to give a book away right now. Can yeah. we give a book away? Let's give a book away. For sure, for you sure. know who I'm going to give a book to? I don't know who. To. I'm going to give a book to the only homie who asked a question. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. You know, right. this book right here, let me, let me tell check you something right here. The Hood Health Handbook, volume one, see best, a life of law, supreme understanding. If you don't know about supreme understanding, dude. Is deep, man. He's a character. He's a character. I love him. I don't know him, but I love him. And he might listen to this. Yo, let's bring you out to El Paso too. Let's sure. kick it. Um, and authors in here, long list of authors. They got Ghostface Killer, who wrote an album, uh, uh, an article. Stickman. Um, this book right here on the street is like thirty dollars plus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> At least. At least thirty. And I'm not even including tax. Never. You know, because you know we tax on the street. Yeah. <laughs> um and so so I want to give this to you. Wait, wait, let me put my Hancock on it. Oh, oh, there you oh, go. Sign ooh, that. Yeah. Put Boom. Hancock on it. And now the, the price just went up because it's collector's edition. Th- now it's collector's edition. <laughs> Limited. Don't lose it. Cause in 20 years it'd be looking for it. Like, yo, where my hood held handbook with the autograph? <laughs> and, and we got in the duffel bag right here. For all y'all who didn't ask questions, you know what I'm saying? Um, Hood Health Volume 1 and 2 in the bag. So please buy, buy the book. And what I love about, about, you could hear him signing it too, right? Did you hear that? Yeah, it came out. What, what I love about this is that this is, I'm a professor, right? And I'm on the, on the textbook committee. I'm not trying to shine on nobody, <laughs> but I'm the one of the chairs, but sorry. Uh, but like, right, that's not, that's totally colonized thought right there. Like, I'm the chair of the textbook. Like, that shit. So yeah, who cares? But this ain't like from Pearson. You know what I mean? This ain't from McGraw-Hill. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this this is this is from, you know what I mean? Supreme Publishing right, right. here, right? Right. And so, so this is not... George Bush's company, Pearson, right. trying to reframe history for you. There you go. This is the people telling you what the history is and what we should be doing with it. You know what I'm saying? And so I can get behind that. And I and 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 that's why I had to reach out to you. Word. There you go. I'm glad you, you did. You know what I'm saying? I'm glad that so, I ended up in El Paso. Very important. I never thought I would have been in El Paso in my life. Yeah. But I'm loving it. 
Yeah. Da, 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 da. Not McDonald's, but I'm <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this episode has not been sponsored at all by that not place. Not at all. <laughs> no way. This episode has been sponsored by the people. There we go. Yeah. Our community organizers. What'd you say? What? It's, it's on the book, but it doesn't say McDonald's if you look at it. No, it doesn't. Huh? No. <laughs> Right this on, is man. Good, man. Peace. Yeah, dig that. Anyway, yeah. Thanks for for coming in. Uh, you know, thank follow you. the networks, please. Um, thank thank you so much. One more time. What what, yeah. what are the Instagrams and all that? Yeah, yeah. Let's got? go to the uh, one, website. One more time. One more time. The website is thishoodhealth.com. and um, the IG, the Instagram is just um at hood health. Uh, it's just hood health. Uh, the Twitter is thishoodhealth. Did I miss something? Oh, did I take it to the website? You're good. Yeah, you yes, got so the website. I got the website, the Twitter, the IG. Boom. All right. And yeah, I think you got the it. podcasts. Oh, yeah, the podcast and everything you can check through the uh through the website. It'll all be linked through there. So yeah. Cool. And like I said, if you got questions or anything, you can you can hit me up and you can get in contact with we'll me and we'll we'll do it. Very cool, very cool. So we're gonna just kind of hang out, chill out. We got our audience here again. Thank you so much for sitting in, guys. Uh, this is the Beamoms podcast. Looking forward to that. We are going to have Ruby on a future episode, as well yeah. as Rob Lan. We have to get them on because yeah, they, we'll you know, they have on. so much knowledge. That's important. Yeah. Um, yeah, guys, share this episode. If you liked it, just give us a rating. You know, Share along with your friends. Uh, this is knowledge, and it's just really the tip of the surface. So yeah. much more. Far and wide. Uh, share yeah. it far and wide. Cool. cool. Right. Thank you guys for listening in. Peace. Peace. Thank you. Hey. Bye. Thank you. Late night Loki drops and steady like my gangster drops. Veggies slice, dice, chop, slice, end up with something hefty. But the romaine and dive, friendly, radicchio. Spin it round the dry, arugula, villa, flickio. Fresh green lettuce, I'll never let it go. Mix green space for this upcoming combo. I prank an official up the condo clan. Take it daily, good cholesterol, elongate my lifespan. Don't need the reason. Conventional, organic, depends on funds for the season. Hoarding it, I'm seeding incredible, edible, crispy bell pepper, high stepper, cucumber, never forget to vine ripe and purple, aroma, tomate, heirloom, hydroponic, garden fresh, I'm on it, slush on the mice stock, I like it cold, but some like it hot, I love sodium pop, introducing beta carotene on the scene, eyes turn to laser beam, watch the darkness flee, choice of cheese, opiate, like morphine, make me think I don't want, but I need cranberries and sunflower seeds, sugar snap peas, imbue me with mind speed, almost ready to feed, pour the crouton crunch, pack the power punch, I'm ready anytime, breakfast, dinner, or lunch, couldn't be a proper session without the blessing, tahini goodness, of the creamy goddess dressing, Ayurveda color medicine, culinary better when, health is wealth is when, take stock in my food, technique never lose, you can always have your salad down, eat it too, you can always have your salad and eat it too. Love music and salad, the best things in life. Love music and salad, the best things in life. Love music and salad, the best things in life. Love music and salad, the best things in life. The salad, 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 the salad.